Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Justin Bajima. Justin, how's it going? It's going great, Joe. Appreciate you uh, having me on this call today. Oh, I I am I'm excited to speak with you, and I know the best ever listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, just to give everyone some some background information on Justin before Justin goes into a little bit more detail. Uh, Justin is the founder and president of Access Property Management Group. Uh, it's based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Justin, I, I told you before I was born in Michigan, right? You did. Yeah, Flint, Michigan. So we are. Uh, I'm actually driving up there th this weekend to visit my grandmother for her 99th birthday. Wow. <laughs> uh, Justin, Justin's group uh, is focused on residential property management. They've managed over 500 buildings, 1,000 units, and we're going to get into a little bit of what Justin's focusing on now. And from Justin's background, a little bit, uh, he served two combat tours in Iraq. Um, as a Marine and been awarded the Purple Heart. So first and foremost, uh, Justin, thank you so much for your service. Th thank you, Joe. Uh, he's been given the honor of ringing the bell at NASDAQ, the closing bell. He is a leading expert on entrepreneurship and uh, veterans. And from you know the conversations I've had with Justin, I've noticed three things. He is an entrepreneur at heart, he's a leader, and he's a giver. So I'm so, so excited to speak with him. Um, and Justin, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thanks again, Joe, so much. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, both in uh, real estate and uh, how you got into real estate and um, now what you're focused on? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. So I'm going to go back here a couple of years. Um, Got out of high school, and the whole academics thing really wasn't um, it really wasn't engaging to me. Really wasn't uh, challenging. Really didn't find uh, that that calling at that point in high school, you know. And got out of the workforce, or got out of out of school and went to the workforce, and kind of got bored. I, I excelled at what I was doing, but kind of got bored. I kind of knew that there just had to be something more to life than uh, what I was seeing around me. So I uh, made that decision to join the Marine Corps, and that was in May of 2001. Went to boot camp, and a couple months later, as we know, our world kind of changed here in the U.S. with 9/11. So very early on, my uh, my path in Marine Corps, uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, I said, you know what, the only way I'm going to the Marine Corps is if you give me infantry. So I think one of the things here, one of the lessons might be, uh, be careful what you wish for. So um, I did get infantry, right. and, and very quickly thereafter, it kind of changed, you know, the four years, those four years in the Marine Corps for myself. So it was a very interesting, unique time and experience, and it's one of those things where I would never give it back, but I would never want to do it again either. So I ended up doing two tours in Iraq. Coming back my first tour in Iraq, uh, someone sent me a care package, and they sent me a book. And there's a little purple book inside that care package, and that one book changed my life. And that book, as many of you may or may not know, I'm sure it's had a, a lot of impact on a lot of your listeners too, is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. 
And that book was kind of the, the, the beginning, the, you know, the spark, the spark in my investing, my entrepreneurship, my real estate um, love, you know, my, my endeavors and just my passion that I found. I really found something I was passionate about. And it was actually the first book I think I ever read from front to back. And I read that one book and it just changed everything for me. I was very, very, very hungry and started reading hundreds of books and listening to everything I could get my hands on and reading everything I could get my hands on and just really started this journey. And I went, ended up going back to Iraq a second time and uh, was injured twice pretty, pretty severely in there and ended up getting uh, my last tour blown up. So a very unique experience, but it got blown up and ended up getting medevaced out of the country and spent uh, six weeks in the hospital, had eight surgeries on my legs. Um, they saved my legs. I learned how to walk again. And it kind of got fed up in the hospital just being, you know, in a very depressing situation where you're around people that are hurt and injured and wounded. And um, I just knew that I had to go do something in my life. It was just kind of that calling, that tap on my shoulder. You know, there's no way. I made it through this stuff. I have to go do something. Six months later, I ended up running a 25K, probably one of the most dumb things I've ever done. But uh ran a 25K just to prove to myself that I could do something, you know, six months after being blown up and having to learn how to run again. So that's kind of just what started it for me. Started investing in real estate and single-family homes. The market kind of crashed, and it was really just uh, pure luck, to be honest with you, that we got into it at the same time, the right timing. Um, I had a front row seat to you know the, the global meltdown. Very interesting experience. And they say that most businesses, or a lot of great businesses that grow and succeed, are born out of the rough times, out of the winter seasons and the economic um, cycles. And that's where we were. You know, We started going into single-family homes, buying foreclosures, fixing them up, rehabbing them. I mean, very small house. I think my first house was about $32,500 that we purchased it for. Probably put another 20000 into it, rehabbing it. But we kept doing that model, and we did it for the first home, the second home, third home, fourth home, fifth home, sixth home. And so we got to a point, we kind of realized as we looked around that, you know, buying a home is one thing. You have to buy it right for the deal to make sense. But the other part of it was management. And we looked around in the marketplace, and I came from the Marine Corps, which is a pretty professional organization, as far as, you know, esprit de corps, commitment, courage, honor, all those things of professionalism that you, that I believe in, that I want to, you know, exert into my professional life as well. We didn't really see that. We saw kind of an amateur uh, property management companies, mom and pop, that were just operating, you know, just kind of lazy. You know, they weren't using technology. They weren't leveraging a lot of things that were out there. So, we uh, went out and started a property management company and started it with nothing. I mean, literally, I think we had $100 in the bank account when we opened it and grew it from zero, from zero clients and built that up over the years. So we've been in business now about six and a half years, and I think we've managed over $40 million in assets. But it was never about the single-family homes for me. It was always about apartments. That was really my passion. My love really was. So I think, if anything, this might be the story of going from single family to apartments. So long story short, we did the single family homes. We grew up the business. We were managing over 300 homes, and we got into apartments. And I did a I did a syndication before I even knew what a syndication is, but a syndication is essentially where someone goes out, finds a property, and you raise the capital to do the deal. And we did a small little student housing apartment complex, about $2.05 million, um, and we raised the cash 100% from an investor. So that was our first real foray into multifamily and from there it's been just an incredible experience student housing if you're familiar with it, it's a totally different animal than conventional but uh, we went into it repositioned the property had deferred maintenance uh, it was mismanaged it was kind of just an underutilized asset sitting there and we saw it and thought it was a great opportunity and it has turned out very very well for us so that's how we got started and um, i would say that unless we knew how to manage the properties well uh, i never would have been able to have that opportunity and are you focused now on student housing? 
I'm not going to say that we're focused exclusively on student housing. We are focused exclusively on apartments today. So we are a conventional and student housing operator. Uh, we feel comfortable student housing. It's a totally different animal. You know, it's uh, very labor intensive. It's kind of like a babysitter. <laughs> so it, it just brings up some unique experiences in managing properties because you're not just dealing with a resident. You're also dealing, dealing with their parents. And unfortunately, you know, some people try to, oh, weasel their way out of responsibility. You know, so it's, it's a different type of management. But uh, over the years, we've got our systems down, got our processes down, and uh, we do it pretty well. Sounds like student housing is uh, similar management intensive to uh, Class C apartments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can find some similarities there. <laughs> okay, so based on your experience from single-family homes, rehabbing, marketing them, then creating your own property management company because there's a need uh, to multifamily syndication, student housing, what would you say your best real estate investing advice ever is? Yeah, so this is really be a two-part answer, and I've, I've been thinking about this, and it's actually pretty easy for me to, to kind of spit these two off, but I think the first and foremost is invest in yourself. Uh, invest in yourself before you invest in a deal. There's so many people that want to go out there and do a deal, and I get it. You know, I wanted to go out there and run out there and do a deal too. The reality is, is you will get your education one way or the other. Now, you know, there's people that just read books, read books, read books, and never do anything, and, and I don't think that's the answer either. I think you need to be learning and growing and executing at the same time, and I think that's how it really works best. The second one is the numbers tell the story. And I think that sounds so basic and so elementary, but I think that is the key to this whole game is the numbers tell a story. You know, right now we're in a marketplace where cap rates are compressed and there's so much competition out there. There's so much capital on the sidelines, people buying up assets at, you know, just such compressed cap rates today where if you're not doing this right, you know, you're buying at the top of the market and you really need to know what those numbers are telling you. You know, where do you want to buy a property at? Well, you know, if you're buying at the top of the market, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad deal, but you need to be really, 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 really careful that you know what you're doing and the numbers tell a story. What are the trends? Where are they putting the money? You know, are you at the peak? You know, is this thing, how's it operating? So the numbers truly tell a story. And I think it's so important that if you don't invest in yourself first to learn how to read those things and actually have some practical application, uh, when it comes time to do the deal, you're, you're truly going to be at a disadvantage. Let's let's. I, I have a couple questions, follow follow up questions on each of those. Um, actually, one follow up question on each. In, invest in yourself. What's the best way to invest in yourself? And then, similarly, what's the best way to determine if the numbers you're receiving um, are accurate and telling the story that you need to be reading? Sure. Great questions. You know, investing in yourself, I mean, today there's so many different ways, right? You have podcasts, you have books, you have ebooks, you have audio. I mean, there's so many different ways, conferences. And, and truthfully, I, I do all those things constantly. Um, I love to learn. And I think first and foremost for me, I think that's what's important is that I identify that I was growth-driven. And to me, growth-driven means you never stop learning, right? I mean, things are changing so rapidly. Uh, you can look back at history, and there's companies, you know, that were 100-plus years old, but they didn't keep up. They didn't read what was happening. They didn't see what's going on in the marketplace, and it see those changes. And if you don't keep yourself flexible and learning and constantly evolving, uh, that could be game over. So I, I just think there's so many ways to do it. For me, reading is what really started it. I think it's easy to read a book, you know, on an airplane um, early in the morning, getting in that habit. To me, that's been very, very impactful and very uh I think very well time invested for myself is just having that routine of reading. It doesn't mean you always read every single day, but getting in that habit I think is critical. 
Um, the second, the follow-up, the stories, what do the, the, what do the numbers need to tell you? Well, it depends. What are you trying to do? For us, we're a value-add investor. So meaning we're looking where something's been mismanaged. We're looking for where can we add value to the tenants, to the community, to the buildings, to our investors, to ourselves as managers you know, and investors in the deal. Where can we add the value? And so often, I think a lot of people have this mindset of, you know, the true, uh, be careful here how it is, but so many people, are they're, they're just looking for the profit. There's nothing wrong with profit. But if you can add value and reap the benefit, benefit of, the, of the, the added value, that to me is real secret. So we look for a win-win-win situation all the way around. Uh, you know, I know the, the counter argument is, well, there's never two winners. You know, there's a winner and a loser. Well, maybe if that's how you see things. But I believe that you can add value. You can improve the lifestyle of your tenants, your residents. You can improve the returns for your investors. You can improve the asset's performance, improve the longevity of the asset. I think ultimately it's just a win-win all the way around. What's an example of the numbers telling you a story and you acting on it and it turning out well? Okay, so real life story, you know, with our with our apartment complex here that we did, when we looked at the numbers, we realized that there wasn't money going into CapEx. And what I mean by CapEx is capital improvements, cap, capital expenditures. So if, if a property, every time we buy a vehicle, brand new car, we drive it off the lot, what's happening? I mean, the day that you take ownership of that thing, it's depleting. It, it's getting worn down. It's getting used. It's the same thing in real estate. You know, and if you're not putting money back into that asset, yeah, you might be able to squeeze the numbers and improve your NOI. Um, but what ultimately happens is you're going to have more expenses. So t- to go back to your question, what we saw is that they weren't putting money into CapEx. They were basically squeezing up the NOI, propping it up, meaning they're not putting money into the repairs and maintaining the property like they should, but they're improving their numbers. So before we took over this property, what they did is they went out and they, they leased up the building, the buildings to all these students, but they didn't do a very good job screening them. So they were just more worried about having filled leases, filled beds, because that way they could project that their revenues were higher, and then they were going off their trailing history. So, for instance, whenever we look at a property, we want a minimum of trailing 36 months. So we want the last three years of financials, of actual financials, not just a performance, but actuals. A performance is someone's, you know, projection. So performance to us doesn't mean anything. Then ideally, we, we want five years of, of historical financials. So when you look at the trends, when people decide to sell a property, you know, unless they're really on top of things, I don't think you're going to see that they're they're positioning five years in advance. I think you normally see maybe one, two, three years where people decide, okay, I want to sell this thing. Let's start positioning it. How can we start improving that, the NOI, not operating income? And how can we start decreasing expenses? So you can see that trend line. You can see where they're putting the money. So it's so important. The other thing is, is with apartments, it's about NOI. And, and you derive the value of an apartment complex based on a cap rate. One of the ways that you can do this. So people take the NOI and they divide it by the cap rate. Well, the NOI is only one picture. So the profit and loss statement only shows one picture of the, of the true story of what's going on. So you also have your, your assets, your capital improvements. So you really need to be looking at your profit and loss as well as your balance statement and looking where the number is going in the cash flow statement. What are they really doing with the money? So, so, so often I think people look at the bottom line. They look at the profit and loss. They see the income or the loss, and, and that's the only number they're looking at. And that's just an a- inaccurate way to really – understand what's really happening with a property or a business. I love it. I love it. You are a true investigator whenever you're looking at this. And I, I like the uh, hard stance on receiving 36 uh, months of trailing, you know, expenses, profit and loss, um, because that, you know, that, that's, that's going to help you really get in there and tell a story. 
Yeah, you know, going going a step further, Joe. One of the things that we learned, and I've been very fortunate to have some great uh, people in my in my life with much more experience than myself to kind of help me, guide me, mentor me, and invest alongside of us. But one of the things early on that was taught to me was we don't buy on their pro forma. I don't care what the property will do. We're not going to pay them for what we're going to do to the property. It took me a little bit to kind of understand that. And what that means is that's great if this thing can you know, produce an extra $100,000 in value, but we're not going to pay you for what it can do. We're paying you for what it did do. So one of the things going into that lesson is that's one of the ways you can protect yourself by not overpaying is by buying on their actual historical financials. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you, you tell them it might be nice if, if and when it does this, but it's not doing that right now. So if it does, then when I buy it, I'm going to actually benefit from that because I'm the one that's bringing the property to that level. Bingo. Bingo. Why would yeah. we pay you for what we're going to do? Exactly. Another thing, uh, a recent uh, person I was interviewing, um, he mentioned he always gets the Schedule E from the uh, seller. And that Schedule E is the, the, you know, that's what they're reporting to the government on the profit and loss of the property. And that mm-hmm. tells the story, too. It does. It does. And, and we use Schedule E's in our business as well for, you know, some of our third-party clients. Um, you know, the, the one thing I think when you find some of these smaller mom and pops, one of the things that we've run into, you know, if you're under 150 units where it's maybe not being professionally managed, the reality is, is that their books are a mess. And, and that's one of the struggles. Um, finding something that, that is organized, you know, unless that property is professionally managed, you're not probably going to get the numbers the way that you want them to. You know, we see mortgage payments uh, as a direct expense in a property, and it, it is not. It is not an expense line item. The interest is, but it's a non-operating expense. So really understanding what is an operating expense and what is not an operating expense and income, I think those are very critical elements. All right, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sounds great. Okay, you you might have already mentioned this, so we'll see if if uh, if you if you say the same book. But best ever book you've read? Yeah, it's got to be the Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, he's the the big tough Marine. I think I connect with him, but just the book, it just really resonated with me and really changed my paradigm. So there's two things: content and context, and it really changed my context to allow me to uh, take in new content. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay, this is based on your experience, uh, this next question. I'm customizing it just for you. Um, Best ever personal growth experience, and what did you take away from it? Whoa, best ever personal growth experience. So the best ever personal growth experience, and and I've had quite a few of them, to be honest with you, but really I, I found someone that believed in me. You know, I, I found somebody that I connected with, and it was through a, it was through kind of a veterans um, program where I just came into contact with this individual, and he his background was uh, the financial industry and was very very successful. And I asked him, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? Why why are you helping other veterans? And his answer was, you know, I can either donate my time and make a difference in people and take what I've learned, or I can give my money away. And if I give my money away, how do I know they're going to use it properly? So, you know, if you can find somebody, there's, there's, there's six human needs that people have. You know, there's, there's always more than just the money. And just to assume you know why somebody's doing something, I think it's wrong. It's something that we all fall into that trap. But if you can find what the real reason is behind somebody um, and get a personal relationship with someone that's been successful and help you go through that and open up doors, uh, to me, that's just sped up so many learning curves and it's been so instrumental in everything that we've done. 
Best ever success habit you practice? Kanai. Constant, never-ending improvement. <laughs> um, you, can, you can tell you just got back from a Tony Robbins seminar. <laughs> like, we mentioned six human needs. We mentioned Kanai. <laughs> yeah, right, for sure. But, it, it, you know, it, it's the core. Um, you know, part of, part of being a Marine is that, uh, unfortunately, nothing's ever good enough. Or, you know, there, there's always more. There's always more room for improvement. But that's the truth. And if you're not constantly innovating and pushing and, and, and adapting and, and evolving today, you're outdated very, very quickly. And I feel the same way for ourselves. You know, why would you stop? I mean, so many people go to school, they go to college, they get their higher education, and then they get their degree. And what happens to their learning? They stop. They think they're done. And it's like, no, guys, like that's just the beginning, you know, and, and that's just the right to play the game. The game doesn't stop. You know, it, it never ends. And I think to me that's been – instrumental in, in our development and our growth and the things that we've accomplished, you know, and, and we're still on that path. You know, I'm not done. I need to constantly keep evolving and learning and growing. So the constant never-ending improvement, I think that, you know, for me, that's my secret. Best ever Internet resource you reference for research? For research? Oh, gosh. You know, there's so many good ones today. Um, I'm just going to pick one here that was kind of instrumental in my beginning in property management, I'm going to go with IREM, which is the Institute of Real Estate Management. When I first got started, I wanted to look around and, and learn from the best. I've always wanted to be around the best teachers. I've always wanted to be around the thought leaders. I've always wanted to be around the people at the tops of their industries. So I looked for an association that was teaching a very professional, high level, uh, how to truly operate assets. And I found IREM. And that's been uh, a key thing in my professional development uh, with my business and also just being able to understand the numbers learning how to truly operate and manage a property, how to forecast, you know, how to, how to really budget correctly, all those things. So I would say IREM. Do they have classes that anybody can take? They do. They do. You know, they're, they're not cheap, but again, uh, you get your education one way or the other. So I'd say for me, that's just been so instrumental because even if you don't want to manage property, I'm not out here advocating that everybody becomes a property manager. But I think that if you're going to be in real estate, I think it's critical. I, you know, I highly recommend to everybody, manage the first couple of properties that you have. Learn what it means to manage a property. So that way, when you have somebody else managing it for you, you can speak the vernacular. You can speak the language. You can understand what they're saying. I think so often people think property management, you know, they, they don't really put too much credence into it. They don't understand what's, how much work it is, how labor-intensive, and the problems that you have. And I think it gives you a healthier respect. And I think it's going to give you... Uh, a better relationship with that manager. I don't believe that you can manage something that you don't know how to manage yourself. Best ever quote. Best quote. Uh, I'm going to go with this one from Vince Lombardi. The difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. Okay. All right. All right, Justin, what is the best ever place to reach you? Postal mail. I'm just kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Uh, you, you know, I'd say probably LinkedIn. You know, it's an easy way to find people. and It's just amazing how connected we all are today. So, um, you know, there's so many tools out there, you know, between Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the social stuff out there. But I think LinkedIn is a great place. Okay. And then uh, lastly, is there anything that talk about? that you wanted to mention to the best ever listeners? Hmm. Keep going. Keep charging. You know, and, and, and go after what you want. Not what you think you can do, but what you want. Because I think when you go on that path and you start going after it, uh, I believe the teachers and the information, I, I believe they appear when you need it. 
you know, if we did everything and limited it to what we knew how to do today with our capacities, nobody would grow. Everybody's small. You know, I've been very fortunate to be around some very successful real estate investors. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet Ken McRoy on, on several occasions, who's Rich Dad's uh, multifamily guy. You know, and he started very, very small too. You know, he started with one single property. I, I believe it's either a condo or a duplex, but he didn't start with the big apartments. And everybody starts somewhere. And I think that's the thing that I've learned. It's it's humbling to start low, but it gives you that background and it gives you the the base to really grow from. So, don't just uh, make your goals from what you think you can do. Make your goals big audacious of, of what you want to accomplish. Hey, we're all in this thing called life. We all get one shot at it, right? I think there's so many people that are playing it safe. And to me, it makes no sense. Coming from a combat zone, maybe it makes a little bit more sense to me, but there's so many people that are trying to play this thing called life safely so that they can arrive at death safely. And to me, that just makes no sense. So figure, <laughs> out, figure, figure out what you want and go after it. And I believe if you really go after it with some intensity and some audacity and a commitment to learning and improving yourself and growing and if you're the if you're the real deal, you're not looking at all to screw people, but you're learning to to do this business right and to add value. Uh, I don't think uh, anything can stop you then. What a wonderful call! Thank you so much, Justin, for for taking the time to to share your background and you know your insight and you know what what makes you tick, what uh, what you've learned along the way, and um, how that can help others. And it is much appreciated, and I know. Um, I know we all got a lot out of it, so thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it very okay. much. All right. Bye. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe.